welcome to the Rumcast. Yes, this is the podcast that talks all things rum related with the people who love and shape it. My name is John Gullah and with me is Will Hookinga. And today's episode features a great interview with Calbert Francis, Global Export Manager for Antigua Distillery Limited, purveyor of English Harbor rum and perhaps the lesser known Cavalier rum. But before we sail away into the Antigua Rum Harbor, Will, what's going on in your neck of the woods and how are things with you as of late? I'm good, John. You know, I've just been I've been going through a lot of the responses we got from our previous episode, our little extra episode we did this month where we yeah. talked about the rum community's reaction to the Appleton 17-year-old legend release and the rum community responded to that episode. We got a bunch of great comments back, emails and, and, and such with ideas. Yeah, unsurprisingly, and, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a hot topic. Yeah. It, it was great to see, but I wanted to, to quickly go through some of these, these reactions, ideas, comments that we got back from the community. So I wanted to start with a past Rumcast guest, Kevin Crossman of the Ultimate Mai Tai, who I can, you know, on the short list of people whose opinion that I wanted on this release, you know, mm-hmm. the ultimate Mai Tai guy, the ultimate Mai Tai rum. Yeah. Um, he, he commented specifically on the, the event idea that we discussed in the previous episode of, you know, we posited what if Appleton had set aside some bottles, sent them to prominent rum bars throughout the world mm-hmm. and did some kind of cool events where people could come in, get a Mai Tai, get a little one ounce pour of it neat and really experience the backstory behind the rum in a communal setting like that with professionals mixing the, the Mai Tai for them. And uh, Kevin Kevin liked that idea. And he, he actually went through the process of breaking down what he thought tickets to something like that would need to cost to make it viable. And he landed somewhere in the ballpark of $250, which when I saw that number, I was like, ooh, yeah, maybe the economics on that mm-hmm. might not uh, work. But mm-hmm. he added that even if the price was 250 to $300, he'd be willing to attend if it were at a meaningful location like Smuggler's Cove or Trader Vic's in Atlanta, he listed. So mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting. And, you know, I, I think in my mind, if if Appleton were to do something like that, where they did those events, I, I think what they should do is, you know, keep it a little bit more affordable on purpose. Like yeah. maybe take a slight loss because at the end of the day, it's, it's marketing, right? It's like paying for advertisements. Mm-hmm. It's like grassroots mm-hmm. marketing with the biggest rum lovers, biggest Mai Tai lovers on planet Earth. So I think there's a lot of good that could come out of that. Obviously, they're probably not going to do anything like that. So this is all wishful thinking, but (laughs) it's fun to think about. And then lastly, Kevin also added this about the whole NFT piece of the release, which was part of, you know, what you and I thought might have set people off a little Mm bit. He said, regarding the NFT thing, they really hyped people to get on their mailing list, quote, in order to be the first to purchase. Perhaps if they had explained how all of this would work ahead of time so we could register for the site, and if they had randomized the invites lottery style, then folks would have felt like, oh, I don't stand much of a chance, but at least I have a chance to get this for the MSRP. So I do think that's a good point, because I do remember saying the, like, join our mailing list to be the first to know, and then, like, I joined the mailing list, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, the next thing I knew, half of those bottles had sold already. So that was kind of a surprise. Another one of my favorite comments came from Rumcast listener Phil, one of our patrons. He wrote, when I read about the NFTs, my reaction was WTF. So just (laughs) a great line there. Three different letters, right? I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
And then the last one was uh, Robbie, another Rumcast listener and patron. He said, I wouldn't be surprised to see Appleton come out with a new line designed to fill the gap left by the 17-year-old bottle. Yes, Joyce said they would never release this again because of the one mark that's a pain to ferment, but with the demand and hype over this release, maybe there's another line in the works that's close enough to the 17's profile that they can keep in circulation. I thought that was an interesting comment, and I was curious to get your take on that. Do you think that's something that would be viable or that they would actually consider, and what do you think it would look like if they actually did decide to, you know, we can't just put out this we can't keep putting this out over and over again but we can do something approximate like what would that release look like right well i think it's a a good thought and i agree with that as well and and as for if it's filling a place in the the lineup that they have i think it just depends on how real different it is mm. than the existing 15 and maybe you know the 21 or even the 12 and if it is true to that and of course we haven't had a chance to try this rum so we don't right. know but if it is true that it really does bring a different side of Appleton, then I would say, sure, why not? Especially if it's embraced, especially if people are like, wow, this is great. And we super wish it was part of the, the regular lineup. And then they figure out an economical way to make that happen. You know, mm-hmm. if again, scaling it up, like we talked about in that episode that, you know, the, the economies of scale. And if you can scale it up, maybe it can be more to, more affordable for them to do over time. So I, I do think it's something that is a possibility. But I also it has to be enough different than the 15 to really make sense for me. The first place my mind went was, you know, obviously I I don't think they could just put out a 17-year release. Right. You know, just to me that would be weird to have 12, 15, 17, and 21. But what I think they could think about doing, this actually just occurred to me, is what if they just put out a 100% pot still release? Right. Right. And I I don't know, like price wise, where that would end up in my mind. It's like somewhere around the 12, probably. And I don't think sure. it needs to be that old either. I, I was going to agree. Yeah. It could even mm-hmm. maybe be a no age statement release. Maybe it's just Appleton pot still. Sure. And it's kind of like a wink, wink to the rum community that mm-hmm. this is the Mai Tai rum. But it, it could also be marketed as something to sit, which is kind of what this 17-year release is anyway. Because, I mean, it's a, it's a 17-year-old 100% pot still rum. Obviously, you're going to be able to sip this, you know. At the same time, though, it's being positioned yeah. as the, you know, the Mai Tai mm-hmm. rum, which is right, right. just kind of weird anyway. Because normally you wouldn't mix a 17-year-old rum in a cocktail exactly. in, in modern days anyway. So yeah. that's something that I think would maybe be worth exploring is what does a 100% pot still Appleton mass market release look like? And, you know, when I say mass market, maybe it could be a little bit more limited in availability. Obviously, I don't think they're going to be producing something like that at the same capacity that they're producing the signature or the eight year or the 12 year mm-hmm. or the 15 year. It's probably a little bit more limited, but that would be something really cool. And I think something that would be differentiated not only within their portfolio, but also within just the wider rum landscape. And another thing that's occurring to me just now is, you know, I doubt the folks at Campari are looking over their shoulder right now at the Worthy Parks and Hamptons out Mm -hmm. there. But Mm -hmm. those are 100% pot still distilleries. And, you know, over time, I think interest in those distilleries is only going to continue to build. So having your own 100% pot still release out there in the portfolio, maybe not a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, I think it has to appeal to, as you said, the mass market. That's yeah. kind of the catch-22 here, right? Does a 100% pot still release, whether it's an age statement or not, 
appeal enough to people. And then one of the ways that it could appeal enough to people is to say, this is a great mixer for a Mai Tai, right? Yeah. Or, or other drinks. And it stands up in those cocktails. So that's not to say that some of the other Appleton products don't already do a pretty good job of that. I think they do. But the, the point there is, is it just specifically for the rum community? Because then it's back to like, well, do we need this to be a huge mass market umpteen amount of bottle release yeah. or standard yeah. Yeah. And the and the tricky part then is like how much the average person does it then overlap with the signature, which is kind of their exactly. go-to cocktail rum. Right. And, right. Um, in, in my That's, mind, yeah. it, this, this was kind of like almost be their version of Denizen's Merchant's Reserve, yeah. you know, yeah. which is designed mm-hmm. to be the Mai Tai rum, right? Except that one's a blend right. of Jamaican and Martinique rum. So... If they could get something in that wheelhouse that's sure. 100% pot still, I think that could be really interesting. Yeah. And, well, um, and I'll just tack on one other thing is maybe we can kind of split the difference here in a way. And what if this was a an annual limited release? Oh, there you go. Some, yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be part of the main line, but it can be an annual limited release of, you know, 3,000 bottles or 2,000 bottles or whatever it is and test the market that way. If yeah. you've got a few annual releases that are now still on the shelf from two years ago, well, you know, you don't need to keep making them. Yeah. But if they're they're going away, there you go. All right. So well, I think we that works. I think we solved it. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, thanks to everyone who who wrote in in response to that episode. There were a bunch more reactions we got that we we don't have time to read, but always great to to go through those comments. And uh, I'll be interested to see what the the reception is like once people actually start tasting it. That is everyone who gets their hand on a bottle who doesn't just you know want to sell it immediately mm-hmm. for a profit, but. Anyway, John, how how are you doing? What's new? What's new in your world before we get to our interview? I'm good. It was it was a long week, so I've treated myself to a few different samples that I've been sent. All right. I, I'm terrible, by the way. I'm terrible at like getting a sample from somebody, which by the way, if you send me samples, thank you so much. Always appreciate it, but I don't always get to it right away. So I finally went back in my bar this week and I was like, well, of all these samples, which are some ones I want to try here that I haven't had a chance to yet? Or maybe I did try them when they immediately came in, but haven't gone back to them yet. And you know, we talk about you need multiple times to really ingest Mm -hmm. the idea of it. So I pulled out two samples that I was interested in, partly because we knew that we were talking with Calbert about some of the Antigua finished rums that they do, the port mm-hmm. and the sherry cask, which you're going to hear about in the interview today. And so I wanted to look at some things that were maybe finished also. So I pulled out two. And the first one is the Rum Renaissance Fino Cask Finish. I think this might be an exclusive from the Whiskey Exchange. And this is a Taiwanese rum. So yeah. Will, are you familiar with this? Yeah, dude, we talked about this in our year in review episode last That's year. Right. This is one of the rums that I talked about in there. Come so, on, don't you listen to the rum cast? <laughs> I haven't been back to it since. And so I wanted to pull it back out because I I know I, I do remember that you talked about it a little bit. And I had an initial sip of it, but I went back into it. And I have to say, this is, I agree with you, this is really done well. Yeah. And... initially I think I had a different take on it I can't remember now I have to go back and listen to my own self-talk well I think I think that I picked this as maybe most surprising rum it was something like that where yeah my reaction was there's something very interesting here it's not like 100% oh this is my favorite rum but like oh there's something you know there's something going on here right and for, you know, my first experience with a Taiwanese rum, I think cask strength, all pot still, aged in new American oak. And I think that's what you had alluded to also, that that was a trend that we were talking about yeah. with um, 1423 and Josh, right? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, new American oak for two years and then an extra six months in a Fino sherry cask. And I really feel like this is a good example of how you can finish a rum where it's not overpowering. It brings something to the table. It's got a lot of good flavor to it. I really do like it. Do I think it, it's it's running for about $200 a bottle, I think? Yeah. That's on the expensive side, especially for something that's two and a half years aged. But yeah. then I fight myself because I'm like, wait, but we talk about don't always look at the number on the bottle or the aging as an indicator of quality for a sipping rum. And it's right. 100%. I'm fighting myself thinking about that and how much I would have to pay to get a bottle of this. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I, I think that's a very limited release. It's from a very small distillery. Fair. So, right. you know, whiskey exchange exclusive. So you're, you're paying for a lot of exclusivity and, and scarcity priced in to that rum. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think you have to keep that in mind. But it's certainly, you know, it's a unique experience. It's... It's it's something that I think of as like a library rum, you know, it's like, mm. oh, I don't have very many Taiwanese rums, if right. any Taiwanese rums. And at the same time, this is like, I don't remember if it's technically high ester or not, but it tastes like a higher ester rum. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's got some funkiness to it, very reminiscent of Jamaican funk. So, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a unique experience. So yeah, but you're, I, you're, I think you're paying for that. Mm-hmm. I think it's well curbed that high ester by the yeah. the sherry cask influence. Right, which you got is the, the new American oak part of it. And then mm-hmm. you got the sherry cask, so yeah. you're you're you're. I was going to say fighting the aggressive flavors with with aggressive sure. maturation, but I don't want to make it sound like they're fighting each other because I do think it comes together rather nicely. Well, speaking of fighting each other, um, <laughs> I, the other one that I tried here, I, I I think sometimes I can be pretty praising of most of the things I try because I love rum and you yeah. know I like a lot of them. Well, there it's are more some fun. That it's, I don't it's, like. It's it's yeah. more fun to talk about the things that you enjoy as opposed That's a good to. Point crushing the things you don't like. I think for you and I, anyway. I agree with that. But this one I have to crush. I do not like this one at all. I pulled this out a couple of nights ago, like I said, in, in... went back and forth between these two, and I was just like, this is just not my jam. It is the European independent bottler Rum Deluxe Savannah Reunion Rum. It's an eight-year-old Grand Arome that's been aged in red wine casks. Mm, Okay. Now, I mistakenly thought this was finished as well, because that's what my intent was. I was trying to say, okay, I'm going to pull two finished, and I thought this was finished in some red wine casks. Well, I looked it up, and actually, it's the full time, eight years in red wine casks, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which explains why this tastes like uh, (laughs) fighting fighting between (laughs) a red wine and a rum, and it just doesn't work at all. It's really, really off-putting is what I would use. So for 55% ABV, it also is around 200 US dollars mm-hmm. a bottle. And I was just like, wow, this just just goes to kind of show you why we don't see this happen, I think, very often. It's very hard to do even as a finishing process mm-hmm. to add into rum some of these flavors. But the whole eight years and red wine casks for this one just, I mean... When I say it's overpowered, I would say that's not enough, not strong enough. Yeah, yeah. It's super gone. It is like, you know, you get a lot of the tannins from that red wine, and it just really destroys anything in the rum for me. Yeah. I've I've tasted some rums like that before that had that kind of, well, I was going to say secondary maturation, but full (laughs) maturation in a what might be used as a secondary cask from time to time. And a lot of times when I've had one that I just think the, you know, the cask influence is way too much. I wonder to myself, I wonder if this could have worked as a blending component, you know, because you see like a lot of the the Foursquare releases, for example, that involve uh, another 
cask maturation. It's it's usually it's not a finish. It's like some percentage of casks that went into this were ex bourbon. Some percentage of casks that went into this were you know port or Madeira or sherry or or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. part of me wonders sometimes if if producers that release something that is just way too much of whatever the cask is, um, a lot of times it's from either smaller IBs or it can be from new craft distilleries i see that sometimes and i'm like man if they could have blended this into something i wonder if it could have worked but again a lot of times if you're smaller or if you're in kind of the single cask business it's not really viable i think you know yeah. practically so I, i've had a, a a couple of samples of savannah releases of their do you know if, is this like their high ester stuff i think it is a grand arome okay yeah you said grand yeah arome. yeah that's my yeah bad. I've, I've had some of that that was released from the distillery that I thought worked quite well. So I think a lot of that, you know, just goes to show that. Well, I don't think the the rum is of poor quality. I, yeah. I think you it's, can it's pick up maturation, on the rum right? being, right. The rum itself, I think, is a good quality rum, and that really comes through even at eight years. But what I just get way too much of is that it, it's, I get that a lot of times an independent bottler is going to want to do a limited release that is really off profile or really different than anything yeah. else that's out on the market because you're trying to go there. And I'm okay with that. You know, I think I've asked for that, I think, yeah. on this program before where I talk about like, hey, let's take some risks. Let's do some things. So, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, I guess. But in this case, it's just a, a reminder to me that, yeah, there's, there's some things that probably are left better undone and one of them is a strong red wine cask for that long mixed with a good rum so yeah well on the note of of finishes as you alluded to earlier it was finishes that kind of brought this episode together because when we were in miami well you're always in miami when i was in miami (laughs) for miami rum congress we uh went up to calbert and he tasted us through antigua distilleries Mm -hmm. english harbor cask finish lineup there and expertly both, tasted us through expertly tasted us he was through very it. Yeah. Good. yes yeah so we both really enjoyed that experience and loved just a lot of the backstory that calbert was giving us and wanted to have him on the show to you know just go go deep into kind of the the history of antigua distiller distillery because it, it predates in the english harbor brand by by quite a bit and has kind of a unique origin story i would say and it is is really interesting. And English Harbor itself, it's kind of evolution over the last few years. I think if you're a rum geek, you've seen that they've put out a lot of releases either themselves or through IBs like Bellier that are interesting and different, you know, High Congener, Cordis of All, things like that. And so we got into a lot of, you know, the, the production differences between those and what we might see in the future from them in the way of interesting, unique different releases and things like that. So mm-hmm. it was a good conversation and I'm excited for people to hear it. Yeah. I think it's uh he's just a really magnetic personality. Yeah. And that comes across in so many ways with how he's able to talk from his experience there being from Antigua and, and about all the things that happen. We get into a lot of talking about some of the cultural events that happen on Antigua as well. Yeah. And it yeah, was it's really carnival season. It's coming yeah. up. So yeah. we, we got into that. We heard about Calvert's Wolf Pack, which yeah. is, is amazing. It right. makes me want to go there to, to witness that in person. So um, the best carnival in the Caribbean, according to Calvert. According yes. to Calvert, yeah, yeah, yeah. So with all that said, let's let's take a quick break and we'll go over to the interview.
right, we are here with Calbert Francis, the Global Export Manager for Antigua Distillery Limited, makers of English Harbor Rum. Calbert, we got a chance to catch up with you recently in Miami, and you were a very welcome sight to both of us because not only for your fantastic personality, but the fact that you had a fine selection of English Harbor rums there, both all of which are very hard for John and I to find. I know he has a hard time in Miami. There's none up here in Nashville. So when I'm traveling, I look for opportunities to try English Harbor, and it was great to uh, get a chance to do that. We tasted through some of the cask finishes there with you, and hearing you kind of talk us through those, we knew we had to get you on the podcast. So we've been looking forward to this. Welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me and for all the kind words. Yeah. So is it you just uh, before we kick things off, you were telling us it's about to be carnival down there. You've got all kinds of stuff going on. What, what does that look like? I've never been to Antigua. I don't know what all goes into the, the celebration. What is it like for someone who's never experienced it? OK, so technically carnival in every other place in the world is like it's a weekend, right? OK. Mm-hmm. But Antigua's carnival, the, the tagline for it is the greatest summer festival. And oh, nice. The reason behind that, you have like 10 days of, of, of party. Okay. Right? Wow. And like in other Caribbean countries where their climax is juvie and then they have either one or two days on the road where right. they display their costumes. Like for us, we have three days on the road. So, you know, like our, our road experience is, is a lot more extensive than all of the other Caribbean islands. Okay. So take, for example, in Trinidad, where they have Carnival Monday and Carnival Tuesday. And mm-hmm. like Barbados, they only have the Monday. Okay. And Antigua, we have at the opening of our carnival, we have what's called T-shirt mass. And T-shirt mass is, is, is you know, indigenous to Antigua. No other carnival has T-shirt mass. Oh, cool. What, ha- what then, happens there? So basically, imagine around ten to 12,000 persons on the road. Okay. And they, they, they're... Behind big music trucks, you have mobile bars on the road. Wow. And so it's like a big time parade, kind of. Yes. All right. Instead of being in costumes, you have themed t shirts. So the different mass bands. So in Antigua, you have bands like Dumstree, Icons, Fantasy 268, Mist, Insane. You know, they, they, they all have their different themes that they use for, for the t shirt mask. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Take, for example, like Miss, they, they, they always do something that's a bit, you know, tropical and that sort of stuff. Insane. The person who runs Insane, he was, he's ex-military. Okay. So his arm stuff always has to do with something, some military term. Right. You know? So, and the, the, the shirts that they are done in to the theme that they are portraying. And gotcha. then they're judged at the end of the, the festivities to see who had the best t-shirt mask portrayal oh, right? okay. so that is that is a hundred percent antigua nowhere else has it what everybody else has is carnival monday and tuesday okay right so only have carnival monday so for those who have monday and tuesday you have what's called your monday wear where uh, you know it's almost like a suit uh, a bodysuit for the females you know some hot shots for the guys and everything and it's a parade again uh-huh. Except, you know, the, the route would be different. Gotcha. Right? So you go to different places. Yes. Yeah. And then for the Tuesday now, that's the, that's the long day on the road yeah. when we're all in your costumes. Okay. Wow. And all, 
lot of stuff. And, and again, while you're on the parade, you have your mobile trucks with your music. You have your, your, your bars and all that sort of uh-huh. stuff. Yeah. Like, for the Antigua Distillery, we're celebrating our 90th anniversary this year. And what we decided to do was to put a mass band on the road as part of the, the 90th celebration. Okay, so nice. What we did is, is we merged a few of the smaller bands together to make one big band. Okay. And it's, it's, it's a combination of traditional mass with the new age mass that's happening right now, you know, to, to really give it this pizzazz. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that those smaller bands and the traditional bands would normally be able to, to offer their, their, their patrons. Hmm. So something like that, you know, like for the NTG still, we, we, we have a distribution company as well. Uh-huh. So we're going to feature all of our brands. We're doing like a wine and Prosecco bar on the road. We're doing cabana trucks on the road. So we're doing Man. a lot of different things that the, the other bands are not doing and okay. catering to a completely different clientele. Wow. So, well, first of all, like take that rest of the Caribbean. Right? <laughs> <laughs> your, your carnival is not as good as Antigua's. <laughs> and second of all, what, I have to know, can you tell us what your T-shirts say? Are you allowed to say that right now or is it a secret? No, the, the name of the band is called Section. And, you know, if I share my screen, I can actually show you what the logo is for the band if you want me to do that. Yes, I, I feel like we made a major error in not doing this interview in person, John. We it sounds right? like the time to we be in be there yeah. for Carnival, of course. <laughs> That's it right there. That's oh nice. Oh, cool. So it's got like yeah. a puzzle pieces theme. I love it. Yes, yeah. because because you have different bands making up the band. So mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. like putting the bands together. So that's yeah, all the yeah. puzzle pieces. Yeah, that, 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 that's that's how we came together. That's very awesome. cool. Love it. Well, now that we've had kind of a taste of the what's happening currently in Antigua, you know, in getting ready for this interview, I was kind of watching some other interviews, reading some of the backstory, and there's this whole really interesting history behind the distillery that I didn't know that much about, where you had this kind of... Antigua, correct me if I'm wrong, has a history of having all these sort of little rum shops on the island that historically would buy rum from elsewhere in the Caribbean and make their own kind of blends, you know, do their own special twist on it and, and release it and sell it. And then in the the 30s, a, a group of rum shop owners come together and decide, why don't we make our own rum? Yeah. And that's kind of when it takes off. But English Harbor doesn't come into the picture until much later. So I, can, can you just kind of bring us up to speed on, on how everything came together and when sort of English Harbor entered the picture? So as you actually said, so our founders, they came from the island of Madeira and they right. came to the island as indentured servants. And so if you follow the story about indentured servants, you had three sets that came to the Caribbean. You have the Indians that went further south. That's mm-hmm. why the Trinidadians and the Guyanese, they have their, this Indian ethnicity. Right. The Chinese, they went as far west as Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And that's why, too, you know, you have some of those Jamaicans with mm-hmm. ass name like Kong and Chin and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But the Europeans... Shout, shout out to Zan. Zan Kong. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Right? But then you have the Europeans themselves for the north. Now, Antigua is one of the driest islands in the entire Caribbean. Mm. And we're actually in the middle of a four-year drought right now. Mm. Oh, wow. So a lot of the Europeans, their bodies were not 
made out for this type of climate and doing sure. that lot of heavy labor-intensive work. So a lot of them suffered from heat stroke. So our guy said, you know what, to hell with this, you know, um, this is too labor-intensive for us. They just quit. Mm. Now, as an indentured servant, you were paid a salary, your passage was paid to, to come to the, to, to the island. And when your contractual duties were up, they would pay to send you back. Mm. So because our guys abandoned their jobs, they had no way of getting back. Right. So we, in order to make a living, that's when they started vending rums and opened rum shops like mm. you referenced in mm -hmm. what's now the capital city of Antigua. Started making their own blends and selling it. And so they figured since Antigua had so much sugar, there must be an abundance of molasses. So right. why not put our resources together for our own distillery, sell one to ourselves in allotment, and then whatever was left over, they would send back to Europe to make some additional money. Sure. And between the, 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 the eight founders, they were able to raise 2,800 pounds, which is about 56,000 pounds in today's um, money. Mm -hmm. And that's what they used to start the distillery. They, they approached the colonial government for land. The government thought it was a great idea, but they didn't want to give them any land on the mainland of Antigua. Mm -hmm. So they put them on this little island off the coast of Antigua called Rat Island. Right. Oh, I remember reading about Rat Island. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So Sounds and, wonderful. We've got the perfect place. We've got the perfect place for your distillery. <laughs> so yeah, I, so I, I'm surprised that didn't end up becoming the brand name. I mean, Rat Island Rum, you yeah. know, it's got a no, nice ring to it. Good. It's a good it, premium it, rum brand, right? It, it, it's not that it wasn't the thought, but <laughs> <laughs> we made jokes about it, you know, during product development meeting when we were coming up with something and we said, hey, Let's call it what island, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, Somebody was like, uh, maybe not. Yeah. I'm going to rethink that. Focus group yeah. it a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, so they stuck us on what island. And um, when the distillery opened in 1932 and then incorporated in 1933, mm -hmm. we weren't making any rums under the Antigua distillery belt. We were just making rums for the founders to supply their, their different rum shops. Okay. Got and it. Then in the 1940s, an estate owner was leaving the island and his estate was up for sale. And the, the, the group, the Antigua the Silly group, was able to purchase that estate. Was and this a, estate, like a sugar estate? Yeah. Got it. So that estate was called Montpellier Estate. Okay. And on that estate, we used to make our own molasses. Okay. So the molasses that we used to make was called Muscovado molasses. Mm -hmm. First rum that the Antigua distillery made was called Muscovado Caballero rum. All right. We got so the bottles. It is Muscovado Caballero. Wow. And it was called Muscovado Caballero rum because of the molasses that was used to make this product. Right? How old is that bottle? So this bottle is probably from the 1950s. Nice. Wow. So my, this, this, this is part of the trophy case in my managing director's office. Okay. And basically it was maybe about close to eight to 10 years ago when one of the older family members passed away. They, after the, the funeral and everything, and they were cleaning out all of mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. that was there, all the remains and stuff. And they came across this bottle. Yeah. And they were like, you know, there's no better place to have it than with the NT, it is still to be used for show and tell. 
good. I'm glad okay. nobody tucked it under their shirt or something. Yeah, and, and it's crazy. <laughs> like, you know, it has the story behind the it and everything and so on. It's, it's, it's really, really cool. Did you give it you a know? try? If, if I can, yeah, I can, I can try to read it for you. you or no, I meant, I meant, did you, did you taste it when they gave you the bottle? Well, yes, I did. Yes, I did. It's, it's, it's unlike anything that you'd have today. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to Like, how does it compare? How does it compare to a more, more modern Antigua rum? It, it's, it's really pungent as well. You know, it's, it, it's different from what you would normally have. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So when we had that, that um, estate in the early 1950s now, when steam generation was becoming a bit outdated, they couldn't get change parts for the equipment at the estate. Mm -hmm. So they had to shut that down. And then they started buying regular molasses from the Antigua Sugar Factory, okay, which was no longer Moscovado. And so they had to take Moscovado from the name. And that's how we ended up with this baby right here. The regular Cavalier. Cavalier Row, yes. Which is our number one seller. Still to this day? Still to this day. Wow. And is that, yeah. do you, do you export any of that or is that all sold in Antigua? We do exports within the region. Okay. I, but I would say 90% of it is sold in Antigua. So hmm. with the, the story now behind Cavalier is that once we started doing Cavalier, Cavalier really took off and the company has been synonymous with, with sailing for, for decades. Right. And so. Cavalier grew in so much popularity that we started to get a lot of inquiries to export Cavalier. Okay. So by the time we put things in place to export Cavalier, we quickly realized that we could only export Cavalier within the region and nowhere else. That's because you had someone who came to the island, fell in love with the product, went back to the U.S. and they trademarked everything Cavalier. Oh, no. Yes, they trademarked Cavalier rum, Cavalier gin, Cavalier vodka. That's not cool. He yeah, even trademarked very... a Cavalier bourbon and a Cavalier tequila. Wow. <laughs> so just you know, total, total yeah. asshole move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's very Cavalier <laughs> approach, you might say. <laughs> when, when did that, when did that happen? Oh, uh, that was before my time. This, this was back in the 1980s. Okay. Wrong. Got it. So then in order to export Antiguan rum, we had to come up with a different name. And that gave birth to English Harbour Rum. All right. So English Harbour Rum was launched back in 1993 when they were celebrating the 25th anniversary of Antigua Sailing. But I say this and I say this proudly, 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 right? Antiguans, we are the most stubborn set of people on the face of the <laughs> And once we are accustomed to something, right? Only by the grace of God. I haven't picked up any stubbornness for you from you. So this, this, this comes as a surprise, I feel like. <laughs> so when they launched English Harbor, everybody was like, English Harbor, like, we don't watch English Harbor. Like, <laughs> right. We, want Cav- <laughs> we like Cavalier. Cavalier is the rum. We know Cavalier is the rum. We love Cavalier is the rum. Yeah. So you can actually take English Harbor, you can dump it in English Harbor because English, <laughs> English Harbor is an actual place. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so some of the reasons behind giving the product that name was because we, a lot of the inquiries were coming from the sailing community. Mm-hmm. And in English Harbor, that's, uh, that's a mecca of sailing or the capital of sailing in Antigua. 
Right. That's where all of the major regattas happen. There's a World Heritage UNESCO site there for Nelson's Dockyard, right? And everything. So we figured people seeing English Harbor on a bottle, they will be able to connect the dots easily. Right. And hey, this is Antigua Norm. But the Antiguans rejected it. They, 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 they wanted no part of English Harbor. So we actually shelved the product. And in 1999, 2000, we then re-released the product. We released the product as a five-year-old um, change of packaging and everything. And out of fear of rejection, we didn't launch a product in Antigua. Wow. We launched a product wow. in Canada. <laughs> we launched a product in Canada. Huh. Okay? I worked our way to the U.S. And between 1999, 2000 and 2006, the product won so many awards that Forbes magazine had it labeled as one of the top 10 most remarkable ones in the world. It was the only five-year-old one to make the list. All the other ones were aged at least eight years and yeah. older. And yeah. it was after that, we brought the product back home to Antigua, started a campaign around that. We told and you. <laughs> <laughs> and fast forward to today, even though Cavalier is still our number one seller, in the local circles, you have more locals calling for English hour than they do call. They're not, they're not throwing it in the English Harbor anymore. No, no, yeah. no, no. That's such a cool story because I, I, I talk to Canadian rum lovers all the time and I know they have so many frustrations trying to get good rum brands into Canada. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that Eng- like that's how English Harbor became a success was by starting out in Canada is, <laughs> is so unique and unexpected. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to keep going on the lines of history also a little bit. You mentioned molasses also. And I, I know in more recent times, there's not really any more sugar production in Antigua, is my understanding now, even though there's a lot of relics of it across the island. So you're importing molasses now for English Harbor, I believe. But has there been any thought to maybe reestablishing some of that sugarcane production on the island, maybe specifically for your rum? It's, it's something that is being discussed. And that is all I can say about that. I don't want to release too much. <laughs> okay. 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 Well, being we'll settle discussed, for that. It's yeah, being discussed. That, that's <laughs> great. It's being discussed. You know, things can't happen if they're not discussed first. Yes, so that is so I'm totally true. with you. So talking about the rum itself, I think Antigua Distillery is interesting because it's it's one of those, and this happens in a, in a few other islands or, or countries throughout the Caribbean, but you kind of, you not only define the rum style for your own brands, but you kind of define it for all of Antigua because you're the only rum distillery there right now, in, unless something has changed in, in the last couple of years that I'm not aware of. But I, I'd love if you could kind of walk us through the production process a little bit to, to give okay. people a sense of how does this compare to production styles of other countries you know is this more like jamaica where there's all this emphasis on fermentation is it you know like other countries where it's more distillation and aging kind of what what does it all look like so what i would say about before i get into that is that our product is a truly handcrafted product and I know a lot of other brands, they have bastardized that term. Well, I try to explain to people, you know, why, you know, we're truly handcrafted. Yeah. Well, as I said, we're, we're 90 years, right? And we, we made, we made one back then. It's the same way we're making one right now, right? Except for the Muscovado Nin- molasses, except right? For the Muscovado <laughs> 90% of what you see inside of any one of our bottles is, is done by hand. 
The only automated part of our process is the filling and labeling. And Got that, it. That, that, that's it. So from the start of the, the, the fermentation, you know, we have what we call bug tank. And so with our bug tanks, this is where the germination process happens, mm -hmm. where we add some molasses into the tank, a little water, and then we use yeast, baker's yeast, to start the fermentation mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why we, we, we affectionately call them bub tanks is yeah. because when the germination process is happening and you just rest your hand on one of these tanks, you can feel the warmth and all the activity happening inside like if it's bubbling. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. That's why we call them bub tanks. So yeah, bub tank one, bub tank two. I right? like it. And the aim with the, this process is to get about 20 million yeast cells, right, per time. Once we get that, then the fermentation process starts, where we empty all of that in, add some more molasses, add some water, and we use a, a, we do a short fermentation process. By 36 to 40 hours, our fermentation is complete, and then we start with the distillation. Now, with our distillation unit, it's, it's, it's very unique because it, <laughs> it is, we use a continuous column copper still. So it's copper from start to finish. And it, the brand is John Doerr, but it is a coffee design. So it was mm -hmm. originally supposed to be two stills, but because of the height of the distillery, we ah. had to modify it into four columns. Sorry, not two stills. It's supposed to be two columns, sorry. Right, right, right. right. And we had to modify it to, to four columns in order to get it to fit. The fifth column, however, is from the old still that the distillery used to have. That still was installed, I think, I think 1962 or 1964 around there, and that was a French style still called Saval. Mm -hmm. Well, I make this little chuckle that the antique distillery is the only place in the world that you get the French and the English working together to produce anything that's noteworthy, right? Because the, <laughs> the, 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 the still that does the bulk of the work is an English still, John Right, Bois. yeah. And the rectification column is a French column, right? Saval, right. Mm. Saval, right? And all of that was fused together. So technically, when you look at it, you can call it a hybrid copper still because it's from two different still makers. Right, right, right. right. So, but what that does is that it makes our rums, because it's copper from start to finish throughout the whole process, our rums are normally light to medium in body with mm -hmm. a very clean finish. And that is something that we get, like every show that I go to, you know, and any opportunity I get for tasting, Consumers are always saying that the finish is so clean. And the reason the finish is so clean is because of that constant contact with copper. Mm -hmm. Then after distillation, we then age in one to use bourbon cast like everybody else. But okay. because until you get so hot and dry, it tends to accelerate the aging. So mm -hmm. our rums tend to taste a bit more mature than the age statement. Right. But when it comes to blending, we blend in oak tanks instead of stainless steel tanks. Oh, two of the tanks that we have are as old as the company. Oh, wow. Mm. Yes. Right? So, and then we just had two new tanks that were installed. One was installed in 2020, and I think the other one was installed in 2018. That has basically quadrupled our output. Wow. And then in terms of, of blending, the, the blending, again, all of this is, all of this that I'm describing, all of this is done by hand. Mm -hmm. Right? So... You know, if my distillers are having a bad day, 
you know, I'm going to get that for And then it's going to translate into more work for the master distiller of the master mm-hmm. blender to do when it's time for his blending, right? So, you know, there's a lot of different components that, that, that come together and that, that blending process, right? In terms of the barrel selection, even the way we would take our barrels inside, you know, very hands-on. Yeah, yeah. We want to get the words, you know what I mean, as to, as to what we do. And that's why, you know, I say it's, it's, it's truly handcrafted because of all the different touch points that's happening with, with, with human interaction. And then in terms of our style, it's really light to medium body with a real clean finish. Hmm. If I was supposed to define it in a, in, in a nutshell. Case. Yeah. It's nice to hear all of that. And actually, I noticed on the ADL website, it does a really good job also of kind of walking people through the steps or the stages of the process of rum making. It seems mm-hmm. like you all are very transparent with all of that. I did yeah. want to ask about one specific thing that's on the website, which was during the aging, it says, basically, rum is not rum unless it has been aged in oak barrels. Mm-hmm. I presume, I see you smiling and laughing already, <laughs> I presume that probably has to, to do with, you know, Antigua rum and, and how your viewpoint is for that. But I wanted to ask you a little bit, of, you know, about that and if you mm. kind of see or stand by that statement or how that would work in your mind. So basically, it has to be aged in, 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 in wood, you know. So it could be American oak, you know, it could be French oak. The way, the way I see it, yeah. right? Different types of wood gives you different styles. And if everybody was just sticking to the same old thing, yes, climate plays a difference. Vegetation plays a difference and all that sort of stuff. But you need, you need some sort of variety, right? And so for us, we, we use oak barrels, you know, American oak. But that's not a beginning and an all. And, and anyone can choose whatever they, 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 they want to choose to. Sure. Mm. But for like unaged product also, you, that wouldn't be considered rum in Antigua. Yes, it would. Okay. Because a white rum is, is, is unaged. Right. So like a, meaning a, an unaged mm-hmm. rum, yeah, that hasn't seen an oak barrel. Mm-hmm. But you'd still consider that rum. Is that like, do people drink that also in Antigua? Well, white rum is not a big, a big volume mover in Antigua. We're, okay. We're, we're technically not a white spirits market. We're a brown spirits market. Mm-hmm. Right? So... The only white spirit that really gets consumed in any sort of abundance would be vodka, but it's nowhere close to rum consumption or brandy consumption or, you know, so. Really? So so there even vodka would be more popular than like an unaged white rum? Yeah. Wow. That's surprising to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to circle back to, you were talking about the still and how it was supposed to be a two column still but it didn't fit inside the distillery. I, I had to ask, did they know that in advance or did they find out when the still arrived at the distillery? I want to believe is when the still arrived at the distillery. <laughs> wow. And, you know, so, so, so the person who, who dealt with the installation of that still still works with us up to this day. Okay, and that, wow. still, that still was installed in 1991. Okay. It was commissioned in 1991. There's got to be a good story in there of, of, yeah. of when that showed up. And uh, they look at the building, they look at the still and think, uh, yeah. like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> might be a tight squeeze. Um, yeah, I, I never thought of that. But, you know, I should I should get the backstory behind that. And the next time I see <laughs> that story. Right, yeah. Part two. Yeah. Um, 
I, one other thing that that's kind of interesting about the aging is I was watching an interview that Anthony Bento from the distillery was giving a couple of years ago, and the the subject of oak chips came up, which, as I understand, was a practice at the distillery where some barrels also had oak chips used in there to kind of you know give you some uh, some more flexibility in some cases. But he, I think he mentioned that that was a practice that the distillery stopped a couple of years ago. So I was just curious to kind of hear, you know, your take on the original reason for that and, and then what led you to, to stop doing it. So the original reason was because of the shortage of, of barrels. That oh, happened, got it. You know, yeah, about a decade ago. And so we tend to only use our barrels for, for two life cycles, right? For five years. Oh, wow. Okay. So and our 10 year for, for, for one cycle. But because we were having some issues in terms of sourcing barrels, then there were some barrels that we had to use some chips in, right? But um, once barrels became available, then that was a practice that was Yeah, every time I see an article or anything about barrel shortages, I always just, I start to get a little worried, you know? <laughs> um, I, I, I just saw one the other day. It was more focused on the, the bourbon industry, you know, because they need mm -hmm. new barrels. Um, but my mind was instantly thinking, I wonder if this means 10, 15 years from now, rum mm -hmm. is going to feel this. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. One other thing, I, I, or I think you, you spoke to this, that you a couple of years ago expanded your fermentation capacity, which maybe that means more bub tanks now. But I, I wanted to ask, since doing that, I would imagine that A, allows you to produce more rum, expand capacity, but also has it given you any kind of, you know, extra room to do any experimentation with, with other kinds of fermentation or anything like that? Yeah, we've done some longer fermentation, some stuff that is a bit high congener, some stuff that's a bit more funky, mm -hmm. you know, but those we, we, we've done for yeah. limited releases, mostly in, in Europe. We've only done one such release in the U.S. and that was with a partnership with the, with the guys from Smuggler's Cope. Right, right. Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. But we, we have done at least three of four limited releases of stuff that is high congener, a bit more funky, but it was all in Europe. Okay. Well, we may have to talk about, uh, I don't know, maybe there should be a second uh, release, you know, maybe the rum cask could get in there and do a little, <laughs> yeah. a little, a little special That's English Harbor release. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll continue that conversation <laughs> later, but that's, that's, that's cool to hear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Calvary, you mentioned the old Saval still was replaced in 91. I, I know, or my understanding is that the 25-year English Harbor release, that that was either all rum made from that Saval still, and that that is run out or is running out. I was hoping you could shed a little bit of light on that and let me know. Are we ever going to have a chance to buy that rum again? So the short answer is yes. Oh, oh that's yes. a good short answer. Good news. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that's a short answer, right? Okay, okay. Yeah. We're we here for the know. long answer, though. We love the long <laughs> answers, so we don't have to stop at the short answer. So, so our 25-year-old or 19-H1 vintage, that is, yes. that is extremely special stuff inside of a bottle. I say to people, if ever you have the chance to, to taste or, or own that bottle, you're owning a piece of Antiguan history, mm. right? Because 1981 was the year Antigua gained independence from Britain. And so that one was distilled to commemorate our independence from Britain. It's also the last remaining rum that was distilled on 
the Saval. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the lungs that were produced between after 1981 up until 1991, when that still was decommissioned, has all been used up in different blends. Mm. So this is the only stuff that is, is, is left. And we have, I think maybe about 14 or 16 bottles have it sitting in a, in, in a warehouse mm. in New Jersey. And hopefully on my next visit to the U.S., I'll be able to say which markets it will go to. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. So special say, bottles. If we need to meet you in New Jersey or something, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> <laughs> so the short answer is yes, you'll be able to buy it again. It, it, it may just be online. You know, yeah. it yeah. may end up being online. Right. So that no matter what state you are in, you have the opportunity to purchase it. So that, that, that's another thought as well. That sounds great. Well, mm-hmm. let me ask you this also. Since it's been long enough, I think, since the new still was put to, to start distilling, do you have 25-year-old stocks of the new still? And can mm-hmm. you... No? Nothing? No, we don't. But we do have something coming out later this year. That oh. is, 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 is very old as well. Okay. Not quite no. 25, but... No, not quite 25, but I'm, I've been with the company for 18 years, and, and this is older than, than my tenure. Okay. Ah, I like that. We've That's got a window point. there. We know yeah, it's okay. somewhere in 18 <laughs> to 25. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Maybe a little set there, you know, both of those, you know, we can, we can figure something out there. Yeah. It sounds like you got great stuff coming, so that's awesome. Yeah, we got some really good stuff going on, right? Really, really good stuff. Spe- speaking of, you know, special releases, I heard that you were kind of instrumental or the, the mastermind behind the 40th anniversary bottling of English Harbor that came out a couple of years ago. And so I wanted to, you know, since we have you here, I'd, I'd love if you could take us through the, the making of that rum and, and sort of the role you had in, in bringing it to life. So that project almost didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how the, that's how the best stories begin, yeah. right? Key, key word is almost, yeah. <laughs> that project almost didn't happen. But, you know, it was like, so we're celebrating our 40th anniversary of independence. And I wanted to do something for the Antiguan market. Yeah. It was never, ever exported, right? Because... Being the intermediary between the, the end consumer and, and the company, you know, our, our palate in Antigua is not extremely complex. Like, like, like the, the rum culture in Antigua, mm-hmm. right, is that we mix everything. Mm. Doesn't matter how old the spirit is, doesn't matter how nice oh, it gosh. is. That's yeah. why you have those bottles in New Jersey. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, mix, we mix everything, right? Yeah. And I have a saying, drink what you like and how you like it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you I want spent, to throw some 25-year into, into some juice, go for it. Exactly. Because rum is supposed to be enjoyed. Yeah. Agreed. And if I spend $6,000 on a bottle, nobody can tell me how to consume it. That's true. Yeah. I, I agree. It still hurt a little bit, but I agree with you. <laughs> right? So, so, so based on that, I decided that, hey, I wanted to do something catered to the Antiguan palette because yeah. like for our cast finishes and, and we did the, the port, the sherry and with Madeira. Yes. Right. Yeah. It is 95% of that is, 95% of that is exported. Yeah. Right. And you know, I've, I've, I've got comments from consumers that, Hey, you know, 
They like to see what we're doing overseas, but you know, they think that some of the wrongs that we make is just not for, 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 for the locals. And then when they see those same products getting all the traction in the international market, they're right. like, why did you need more here? Why can't right, you get right, more? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so based on that, the 40th anniversary of independence gave me the opportunity to do something that was really for the Antiguan palette. Yeah. Right. And so understanding that the main driver or the main characteristic that Antiguans look for when it comes to any spirit is how smooth it was. Mm -hmm. Right. How smooth it is and its mixability. Mm -hmm. So you had to get something that is like super smooth and, you know, being able to mix with just about versatile, right? Had to be extremely versatile, correct? Yeah. And so based on that, you know, I had a conversation with our master blender and our master blender consultant. And I said, listen, I needed to be, I needed to check our 80 year stock and, and, and see what we have and see what we can blend it with and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was a blend of rums up to, up to 11 years old. And so when, when I tasted the blend, I was like, wow, like, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> like they hit the nail, like yeah. right in the head. And up to this day, I have people still coming up to me. Like when we released that, that that's for the anniversary on a bit sold out in less than two weeks. Wow. And we did around 1,600 bottles. Wow. Right? And all of it. So, and, and we had a limit of two bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a cool experience, you know, yeah. for you to, yeah, to get to was, put something together and see it kind of take off so much at home. That's that's really cool. Yeah. And so up to this day, you know, people see me in the streets and they're like, are you guys not going to do my 40th anniversary? <laughs> <laughs> when are we going to get some more 40th anniversary? You know? And some people say, oh, I wish I could have taken more. Because after I drank the first bottle and I'm there looking at the second bottle, I'm trying to figure out whether I should keep it as a souvenir or if I should crack it open and that sort of stuff. So it was really cool getting all that feedback, um, seeing people, you know, really subscribing to it, the, 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 the rate at which it was sold and all that good stuff. So yeah, that, that, that was really satisfying. I think, I think what you should aim for is to, to get to a point where you can put that out all the time. And then instead of calling it, you know, the 40th anniversary blend, you could just call it like the Francis blend or something yeah. like, you know, get your name out there on it, you know, there you go. <laughs> you got to give the people what they want. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Uh, so we've been around in, in some of these different releases that you've done. I know. You, so you have the standard five-year, like you mentioned earlier. There's a 10-year release, I know, that I've seen around a little bit. And then the, the aforementioned legendary 25-year that might come around once in a, in a blue moon. <laughs> out of um, New Jersey. And then, yeah, out of New Jersey. And then there's the, the other stuff. You, you kind of passed right through it. But I wanted to talk a little bit more about these port and sherry cask finished rums. And I know you mentioned there's a Madeira one that was released, I think, only in Europe. But the port and the sherry were also available in the U.S. And I think my understanding was there was almost like a first batch of them. And then they came back as like a second batch. And I was wondering, were there any changes between those batches? Or was it simply like, well, they all sold, next batch is up? Or like, how did that all come together? 
So basically, when the company celebrated our 85th anniversary, we wanted to do something different to give our rums a different profile. And on the CARICOM rum standards for, for rum, you're not allowed to add any flavors or season your, your barrels and that sort of stuff. Right. So in order to give it a different profile, we chose to do cast finishes. And we chose three finishes that either had something to do with the company or with rum in general mm-hmm. in the island and, and, and the Caribbean. So... Port and Madeira, obviously, because of where our founders came from. They came from the island of Madeira. Of course, Makes Port. sense. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 The, the sherry now, before Antigua was an English colony, when it was rediscovered, it was given the name Santa Maria de la Antigua. Mm-hmm. Right. But when English captured the island, they removed the Santa Maria Mamba German, just called the island Antigua. But, and I'm sure you guys will have heard this as well. You know, early traces of, of rum being shipped back to, to, to Europe. When the Spaniards were coming over, they were bringing sherry with them. Mm. And when they wanted to take back rum, they had nothing to put the rum in. Mm. So they were putting them in sherry casks and transporting them back over. So right. that's where the sherry came in. So we chose those three casks because of the, the historic ties that it has, either with the company or the, the, the history of rum in Antigua and the Caribbean. Yeah. So... With our cast finishes, the, the, the base spirit is our five-year-old rum. Mm-hmm. After being five years, then we take the rum out of the one-series bourbon cast, and then we put them in port sherry or Madeira cast. And then they stay inside of those casks for a couple of months. So for the sherry that stayed in cast for about four to five months, the Madeira, well, for the first batch, if you go to the first batch, sure. so all the batches are different. Okay, okay. I will confirm that. All the batches are different. So when we started the cast finishes, the first cast that we experimented was the sherry cast. And we just chucked rum inside of it and we left it there for six months. But the casts were fairly new and they were extremely powerful. We didn't realize how powerful mm, those casts yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. When we went back after six months, the rum was more like a sherry. Yeah. And less of a rum. The, the, the original plan was... Whatever we got, we were going to add 8% 10-year-old to the final blend to round it out and then bottle at um, 46 since uh, 40. And I'll tell you why we do that. Yeah. But which, we, which we appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> so with the, uh, with the sherry now, we actually had to add 17 or 18% of 10-year-old to that first batch. Balance in, out the sherry. In order Got to, it. yeah. Got right. it. Right? And so the reason we bottle at 46 is because we don't do chill filtration at the distillery. Mm-hmm. So in order to eliminate any ha- hazing from a cloudiness, we have to, yeah. Yeah, we, we have to raise the, the alcohol content. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 43, but we did it 46 for a couple of reasons. One, our Canadian market has always been clamoring for something that is a bit more warming than our 40% expressions are standard. Yeah. And Don't give us just... United States people out either. We're clamoring <laughs> just, as, just as much as them Canadians. We clamor. We clamor. We clamor too. <laughs> uh, and the second reason is I've spent over 18 years in this industry. I've never once heard anybody complain about too much alcohol. So we give that extra 3%. That extra 3%, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, for all your support. But the the ports and and the, the Madeira, the Madeira is about six months and the port goes all the way up to nine months with the with the initial back. 
Mm-hmm. And that's because the podcasts that we had, they were extremely old. old. They were mm-hmm. used to, to, to age vintage Tony Ports, right? And so the, the transformation or the integration with the spirit takes a bit longer than the Sherry and the Madeira cast. So each one of these casts, they have their own personality where the port is the, the most subtle in the range because, you know, the transformation is, is, is not as pronounced as the other expression. Right. Right. Cherry is the, it is the most flamboyant. That's the one that has the most to say. It's very spicy, you know, in, in, in nature. And, you know, that's, that, that's, that, that's a showpiece. It talks that's back to you. Yes. Got it. <laughs> okay. Diego, on the other hand, is the most selfish in the range, right? And the reason I say it's the most selfish in the range is because it doesn't play well with others. Uh-huh. As, as I mentioned before, the culture in Antigua is, is a mixing culture. So anything mm-hmm. that we produce, we always do a mixability study, right. right? And so with the Madeira, we found the only thing mixed well with it was PBG Madagascan Cola. Everything really? else was, everything was a no, 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 no. <laughs> so the Madeira was basically saying to us, I don't want to be mixed with anything. I don't really care who wants to mix. I want to be consumed neat, right? Yep. And so that's why, you know, his it, personality is, you know, the self. It's a diva. Yeah. Yeah. There is a diva. <laughs> so we're actually on batch four now of... The sherry. Oh, wow. On. I didn't realize there was we, that many. Okay. Yeah. So b- because of the, the turnover time. Sure. Yeah. It, it's, it's much shorter than the others. And ah, I see. Yes. And we're on batch three of the Madeira and batch three of the port. The batch Got three it. of the Madeira was just bottled and going to be packed in a container next week and it's off to Europe. So do you have to, as you continue with those batches, is it each one kind of a case-by-case basis in determining length or proportion of older rum that gets added to it? Or, or is it like closer to being like dialed in now, like you know exactly you know, what you have each time? So basically what we do now is, and this was before we did a reset on the U.S. market, is that all of it was being shipped to, to you Mm-hmm. So I would say to my, my European distributors, Hey, we're planning next year's, next year's allocation of, of cast finishes and let me know what your desire is. So hmm. based on what their desires are, then, you know, there's an aggregate amount and then you work that back to see how much rum we really need to put into the cast. Oh, okay. how cast. Yeah. And then if it is a situation, we only have a limited amount of cast. So then if we don't have the amount that everybody's asking for, then I would do the allocation based on the amount of the other stews that they sell. So basically, if you sell a lot of English Java 5 and 10, then you, you get, get more yeah. of the cast finishes than anybody else. Mm-hmm. So no, that's all. So you, you have to be the guy who has to deliver the bad news of, <laughs> hey, I'd love to give you more sherry, but you got to get those those English Harbor numbers up up, exactly. up next year, right? <laughs> those are rookie numbers. Yeah. You got to pump those numbers up. <laughs> <laughs> so I know in addition to uh, the cask finishes, there's been a, a number of kind of interesting limited releases in recent years. I know Velier put some stuff out. 
There was the mm. Corridor de Saval release, yes. the High Congener series. Mm. I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, particularly the Corridor de Saval and the High Congener, you know, mm. what sort of pushed you to do those in the first place, and then, you know, what you change about the production process in order to uh, to make those. And it sounds like with the High Congener, some, some fermentation stuff, but yeah. I, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about those. So for the, the, the Corridor de Saval, that, that, that was another interesting piece. Yeah. Well, our previous master blender and seller master, they were able to convince my managing director to do something crazy, right? <laughs> Where they wanted to produce a product that was really the essence of that survival column, mm. meaning with as little alteration as, as possible. So normally when we produce rum, when we're done distilling, it comes off the still at 95%. Yeah. And then we, we break it down to 70% and then put it in barrels to each. Mm -hmm. So what these guys said is that, Hey, what we want to do, we want to add less water. So they diluted down to 80%. And instead of using once used bourbon cast, they actually used new cast that were lightly toasted. Mm. So you would not have that heavy bourbon influence. Yeah. And so they were able to convince my managing director to to do something crazy, which he agreed. He said, but I'm only going to give you guys eight barrels. <laughs> yeah. What is going to give you eight barrels to run your little experiment, right? So he did that. But a couple of years afterwards, our master blender, he moves to the U.S. And our seller master also moved. So we had a new master blender and, and, and seller master. And so our seller master now, he was in the seller doing his annual two-year rotation of, of, of barrels and saw these eight barrels. So the way we staff our barrels, they stacked, we, we no longer stack them on the side because of the evacuation. So we stacked them standing the pallets, up. Pallets, yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, okay. Right? And so there were fully four barrels on, on, on a pallet. Okay. So you saw these, you saw these barrels all by themselves and they looked completely different from... the hell's going on over here? Yes, yeah. right? So as a seller master, he has all right. He goes into the cast, he tastes the cast. And so I, I lead the product development team, right? Mm -hmm. And he, at the time, he was our seller master and the master blender, right? So he sends an email to the entire product development team and he said, whatever you guys are doing now, you need to stop and come down to the lab. <laughs> That's always a good email to get. <laughs> so, Maybe a little scary at first. You think something, something's gone horribly wrong, right? Exactly. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. Like, well, what the heck is carrying on? So I jumped into my car and I raced down to the distillery. When I get down there, the other guys come in. He said, I want you guys to taste this. <laughs> so we tasted the product and everybody was looking on at each other and they're like, this is really, really good. Yeah. And he was like, so someone said, what's this? And he said, he found it in the cellar. And I'm like, nah, you could have found this. <laughs> but the, the, the profile is completely different from this in the shower. You know, this, uh, you, you could even have found it in the cellar. So then he pulls out his spec sheet and he starts reading what's on the spec sheet. And my managing director said, Oh, yes, I remember this project now. 
Uh, like, this project, and then that's when he gave gave us the whole story that I gave you guys yeah. about mm-hmm. how it came into be. And then the next question was, so what are we gonna do with it? Yeah. I said, I started to give some ideas like, hey, let's do this, let's do that. I started to get our creative, and I was hit with a resounding no. <laughs> the idea for this product was going to be bottled at cast strength and whatever the strength is because of what they were trying to accomplish in yeah. terms of what that rectification column could give you. So this product was actually bottled before it was labeled. Oh, right? Wow. Oh, so yes, okay. and then order the labels afterwards because only at bottling, we knew what the bottling strength was going to be. Oh, okay. Wow. So after we bottled, then we sent away to get the labels printed. And then when the labels came, we did a labeling of the product. So when, when they told you, hey, it's cool, you've got all these ideas, but we're just going to release it at cask strength because that's the plan. And it's this really high, it's not like it's, mm-hmm. you know, 55% cask strength. This mm-hmm. is really high. Was your first reaction like, how am I going to sell all of this? Or did you, did you, were you confident that like the rum nerd community out there is, is going to love this? Well, I knew the rum nerd community would, community would love <laughs> but are only, there enough? <laughs> my only concern was the 73.6%, it would have been too high to sell in duty free. Oh, right. yeah, good point. Right. Can't put it on an airplane. 70, right. So I said to the guys, you know, if you do it at 73.6%, there is no way we're going to get this in the duty free and you're going to lose out on a captive market. Yeah. And the response was, and so what? <laughs> you said, thanks guys, right? <laughs> that was the response. And so what? You know, it's, it's, it's wow. excellent bottles, you know, like when it's done, it's done. That, that, that way, when you send it to Europe, you know, you have nobody trying to, you know, like you have to get it from the market that it's allocated to. Yeah. So you won't be able to, it's not going to be duty free. Mm. And I was like, okay, that's, that's the case. Then I sent out the brief to all of my distributors and everyone was like, wow, 73.6%. That is interesting. <laughs> Sounds but cool. Once it, hit, once it hit the market, I was started to do those warm shows and persons were tasting it. It was like, yeah, it was like, where can I buy like I remember I was at a I was at a rum show and that time it was the California Rum Fest. I was in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I had a I had a, a bottle with me. It didn't have one any label. Right? And it's I the best just, kind of bottle to taste at a rum show, the one is, that has yeah. no label. Yes. It had it had no labels on it. It's under the and, table. <laughs> yes. Yes. So when I came up, I, I was with Martin at Smugglers and everything and so on. And, and so, like, when he tasted, she was like, oh, my gosh, God, this is And so everybody that was coming to the table and, you know, they, I, I was presenting them with English hour and everything. And they're like, okay, so now I'm done tasting. Oh, yeah. What about <laughs> that? Tell me stuff about that. Other thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They lean, they lean in real close and, yeah, and exactly. lower their voice a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was, yeah, that, that was quite an experience. You know, everybody came over and they were like, wow, you know, I yeah. have anything like this. And, you know, it was, it was, the feedback was really, really. 
So the question is, did your managing director kick himself for only asking for eight barrels? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess he did privately. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he did privately. You know, well, he never did it in front of me. Is there is there any hope of people seeing that rum made, made again at Antigua Distillery in the future? No, I... I, I it's a one-time... It was a one-time thing. One-time deal. Well, okay, so the the high congener then, how, how did that come about, and what what do you have to do to, to to produce that rum differently? So that is purely distillation, and so our our master distiller and the and the distiller before him, they were all all Jamaicans, okay. right? And so what what we did is that. Anytime we had excess, any year we had any excess capacity, Mm -hmm. you know, they were given the leeway to do something funky. Oh, okay. And it's something that would have been made and just sitting inside of our, our cellar because we don't use it in our regular blend. Right. Right. And as it's getting, you know, more and more popular Mm -hmm. to get something funky from us, definitely has a different ring to it because you're not accustomed to getting that from us. And and with that, it is, we've done stuff with, with Haramex where that is concerned and with Bellier in, in terms of the, the high congener mm-hmm. releases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And so again, it's, it's, it's volume driven, you know, you hit a certain, a certain um, number in a year and then, you know, that's, that's your reward. We send you a bunch of different samples, or unless you want to come to Antigua, you can come to our cellar and we open up our cellar to you and you get a couple of barrels. We bottle it at what ABV you wanted, label it for you, and that's your, that, that's your reward for all the hard work you put inside it. All right. We're rewarded with funky rum. That's the, the <laughs> best kind of reward, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's all, it's all then done through distillation then? Distillation, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I think... Hmm. There's really no heavy blending. Gotcha. Hmm. There was one more thing I wanted to ask about, Kelber, which was I had seen conflicting reports of whether or not there's anything added to any of the rum there. You mentioned kind of earlier about how Antiguans and, and maybe Barbudans like like their rum you know, smooth and things like that, and sometimes that does mean additives. Was there ever a time when there were additives to English Harbor, and has that practice been discontinued or can you tell us a little bit more about that the answer to that is no that's so that, ne- that, never that, that, that's a short answer the only thing that you would have added is with cavalier rum and because it's in a clear bottle it's only two years we use right. milk coloring it doesn't mm. add any flavor right and that is a uniform color throughout so there's a there's a color scale that we use yeah but our our Age rums, our five-year, ten-year, and our cast finishes. The color that you Nothing. see, color that you get straight out of the barrel. Um, shifting gears, I, I read an interview that you gave all the way back in 2017, and in it you were asked, you know, where do you see the rum industry in five years? And your response was really interesting to me. You said, "I would like to see the creation of a rum academy." funded by various rum brands being formed. Uh, I, so like, I need to know more about this vision of, because I just saw the word rum academy and I was like, that sounds cool. Like we need that. Uh, so 
in this ideal, your idea of a rum academy, who would attend it? What would the classes be like? What's kind of like the ideal dream version of this in your mind? So before I came on the distribution side, yeah, my background is hospitality. And I used to work for a hotel group in Antigua. Mm-hmm. They were, they were, at, at that time, they were called Antigua Resorts, you know, in Elite Island Resorts. And I used to be the bar manager, supervisor slash manager at, at, at one of their properties, right? And so, and this was all the way back in, finished, so between 99 to 2003. Okay. And so my good spirit in terms of making cocktails was always well. And at the time it would have been Cavalier because as I said, English Harbor was not, was not born back until 2006. Right, right. So, so I, I prided myself with making a lot of rum cocktails, either with Cavalier gold or Cavalier white. Mm-hmm. And even sometimes experimenting with the 151, 151 proof. And mm-hmm. so the first time I ever heard the term mixologist was when somebody referred to me as a mixologist when I made them a cocktail. Okay. And they're like, you're no longer a bartender, you're a mixologist. And I was just, I've never heard the term before, <laughs> right? So there was just something new and, and, and weird to me. So getting into the industry and, and seeing what, other people are doing all across the world and looking at what we're doing here in, in Antigua and, and, and by extension in the Caribbean. In terms of the, the cocktail culture, it's, it's very elementary at, at best. But tourists love that elementary aspect, mm-hmm. you know, where they can come and they can get a pina colada that's very juicy and, you know, very sweet and all that sort of stuff. They, they, they love that. But yeah. there, is, there is a market for metropolitan cocktails, you know, cocktails that are trending and, you know, the type of stuff that you're doing with, with, with rums. And when I started working in the, in the international markets, that's when I realized that, Hey, we're really behind the eight ball what mm. we're doing in the Caribbean and in Antigua. So for us now, I wanted to, to establish almost like a school yeah. where persons can be schooled with the history of rum. Right in the in the the Caribbean on the different styles that we produce, mm-hmm. right? Cocktails, um, both classic and, and 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 modern. Talk about, you know, infusions and all that sort of stuff. So that that was my idea of of of, of Roma. Well, I feel like I feel like all the big brands need to get behind this. You know, pool their resources. I think it needs a big you know campus down there somewhere I'm in the saying, Caribbean. If you need um, a teacher, you know, <laughs> I could be an adjunct. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's more than just it's more than just the bartending. You know, it's it's all about history, right? You know, each brand, and so you know that so so that when you go to to an island, there's an appreciation of the different styles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know how to use those different styles and different cocktails and all that sort of stuff. So that, that was kind of my vision. Well, we love it. I mean, I, I feel like that's part of what we're trying to do with this podcast is just mm-hmm. get that the, the stories of all these styles out there because I think that's part of what makes the whole hobby of rum, the journey in rum, so fascinating yeah. is there's always... Mm-hmm 
another style, another culture, another history to learn about that's connected to rum. So yeah, love it. I, I, you know, I would love to enroll in the rum Academy when it's open. So you'll have to let us know. Um, well with all that, you know, we've, I feel like we've covered a lot of the history of the distillery, a lot of the, the releases you hinted at, at a few things that are being discussed, things that maybe fall in between eight and 18 and 25 years that may or may not be coming out sometime. <laughs> was, was there anything that we, we didn't get to that, 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 that you guys are working on right now? Well, like I said, it's, it's our 90th anniversary. Yeah. And, you know, we, we have a whole slew of activities happening starting from June of this year. The company was actually incorporated on June 4th, um, June 3rd, sorry, 1933. So, Coming up soon. Yeah. So starting on June 3rd, well, the 4th is a Sunday. So we start with a church service and then we have a whole year of, of, of activity that we're going to gonna do. That's going to run us all the way back until May of next year. Some of it is going to be doing some tour back releases. We're going to have a period where, because you can't do tours of the distillery. Mm. So we're going to have periods throughout the year where we open up distillery for persons to come and see cool. fastness and all that sort of stuff. So I'm sure a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of videos are going to surface and yeah. pictures are going to surface online about the, the distillery. You know, they're different. There's this podcast that we're working on oh, that cool. different um, stages of production. Nice. You get to meet your master blender or distiller and all that sort of stuff. So th- there is, you know, and obviously there are a couple of releases that are going to come out as well during that uh-huh. year. So Excellent. It, it's something that we're really looking forward to for our well, 90th If this is all happening for the 90th anniversary, I can't imagine what you're going to do for the 100th anniversary. You're going to have to go even bigger. You're going to have to do like, you're doing two, yeah. two releases for the no. 90th. You got to do like That's four right. or five for the 100th. So it was so crazy. When I, <laughs> when I put out a plan, my managing director was like, this is really comprehensive for our 90th. This should be something <laughs> after And I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to be around in the next 10 years. So let's. <laughs> Why let's, wait? Why wait? That, 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 that's not my issue. Let, let who is at the helm in 10 years, let them figure it out. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. 90s is right. a big thing. And yeah, let me just go ahead and do, 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 do it. Yeah. Yep. Well, we're glad you're getting all that special stuff out sooner instead of waiting. But before we go, we have one final segment on the show. It's a special bonus segment called the Rapid Fire Round that is concocted by my co-host John Gullah here. Um, It's very different from the other questions, which were long and in-depth. John, do you want to share what's different about this segment? Yeah, I I guess I'm the the master blender of the Rapid Fire Round. The master of ceremonies? Yes, and uh, so what this is, Calvert, is we're going to ask you as many questions as we can in a timed period, and we want you to give as many short, quick, off-the-hip answers as you can so we can get through as many of these. There's no right or wrong answers. Be as serious, as silly, hopefully silly, as you want to be. All right. Are you, so, up, are you up for the challenge? Yes. All right. I knew he was in already. I could tell <laughs> from the whole time. <laughs> yeah, we, we we normally ask no people. Doubt. We yeah, we we kind of you know tiptoe around. Are you sure you want to do this? Yeah, but we we yeah, knew yeah. from the start that you'd but be up for y- it. Yeah, you're Mr. Personality. You're gonna shine. <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah, we we tell people it's a generous 60 seconds, so I will say I have a generous 60 seconds on the clock, and go. All right, neat or on the rocks? On the rocks. Antigua is too hot to be drinking anything. (laughs) Fair. Okay. Column, pot, or blend? Column, definitely. Ah, I figured that would be the case. All right, aged or unaged? Wow, a little more pause than I expected. I, I, I prefer unaged. Oh, wow. And Whoa. I like to make cocktails. And so I prefer something that is unaged. It has a bit more oomph, you know, to punch through the flavors. Yeah, Fair. you got to spread that out there in Antigua then. M- molasses or cane juice? Definitely molasses. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, if you could pick any animal to be the English Harbor mascot, what animal would it be? It would be a frigate bird. Okay, the frigate bird, yeah. I've seen a lot that there's a lot of frigate birds there on Barbuda, right? Yes, yeah. yes. I was going to say the rat would have been a good choice, though. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely the frigate bird. I might not, they might not have gone Cal- for that. Calvert okay. knows a little bit more about selling rum than us. <laughs> Your favorite person to share a good bottle of English Harbor with? Well, it's not one person. So I have this, this, this crew, you know, we're called the Woodback. The wolf okay. pack. The wolf pack. The wolf There's back. your mascot. <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it will be definitely sitting down with Joe, Teddy, Kevin, and Ussie. And yeah, that's, that's, well. Get the group together. All, All right. right. Love it. I, I, I believe you're a sports guy, Calvert. Can you settle something for us? Which sport is better, football or basketball? So, I grew up playing basketball. Okay. But I right. love My man. Okay. Being a basketball player, you know, can't sit down to watch a full basketball game unless the Lakers is played. Oh, come on. Uh, they are playing right now. They're in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, they, they, the conference finals. I know. Also, for football, I can sit and watch anybody play. So for me, definitely. Football. Oh, man. There you go, Will. Taking there the L go. on that one. Knew All right. It. All right. A bunch of people in the U.S. would say their dream vacation destination is Antigua. Where do Antigua's go for vacation? States, England, (laughs) trade places. The opposite way around, obviously. The States, plenty to do here. All right. While the success of the High Congener series has been great, is it true that the English Harbor 5 is going to be renamed the Low Congener series? Hell no. (laughs) Maybe Congener Light? No? No. All right. Calvert wants no more no more product <laughs> ideas from us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Finally, Antigua or Barbuda are purported to have 365 beaches, one for every day of the year, which begs the question, what does one do in Antigua on the leap year day? Is another one as always. <laughs> 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 That's time, just as we got All to right. the, the 366th beach. <laughs> Hopefully you bring some good rum with you on that day. Yes. I, yes. I have I have to circle back. If if John and I ever make it down to Antigua, can you make us I'm not asking for permanent, but just temporary honorary Wolfpack members. Oh. Yes. <laughs> especially especially if you come during Carnival. So like that's t-shirt. right. I so will like, dress up. Yep. Let me tell you. T shirt mask, right? Everybody looks out for the Wolfpack. Okay. okay. Oh, well, you guys have a mm-hmm. reputation. Wow. Yes. Our t-shirts are different from everybody else's. <laughs> and our t-shirts are sponsored by Cavalier Rock. That's awesome. And 
there's always some sort of encrypted message on your <laughs> shirt. That only the Wolfpack understands. So, you know, people would have to see when we are coming on the road to see what our shirts are going to see. <laughs> if you guys are rolling with us doing t-shirt masks, you will get one of those shirts. Oh, oh man, yeah. I got to get Sounds a Wolfpack great. shirt now. All right. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's a, uh, a life goal now from here on out. Yep. Well, Calbert, thanks so much. I know you have a ton of stuff going on right now for Carnival, like you mentioned. You had to fight traffic to get to the interview. Yep. So Missed we, the Lakers game. Yep. <laughs> no Lakers game tonight. That's that's no tomorrow, Lakers. I believe, John. Oh, um, okay, okay. Un- unfortunately, I have to say go Nuggets. I'm not cheering for the Lakers, but... Go uh, Heat! Go Heat! <laughs> anyway, thanks so much for taking the time to, to hang out, Calbert. It was great catching up with you. And uh, we'll be keeping an eye out for all that exciting 90th anniversary stuff. Yeah, man. That's right. Thank you guys so much for having me. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Rumcast. Thanks to Calvert Francis for coming through and telling us all about Antigua Distillery, English Harbor, some exciting stuff coming down the pipeline from them. If, if you have any English Harbor experiences to share, any Antigua experiences to share, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email, host at rumcast.com. It's H-O-S-T at rumcast.com. And you don't have to limit yourself to Antigua. We want to hear anything. If, if you've got episode yeah. ideas, people we should interview, topics we should talk about, we always love to hear from people. Let us know what you're drinking, what you're enjoying these days. It's always great to hear that. And uh, if you're not an email person, if that's not really your thing, if you prefer the DMs, the social media, we're on there as well. John, where, where can they find us there? Yeah, hit us up at, at the Rumcast at Instagram or Facebook uh, or Twitter if you like, if you prefer. And we'll, we'll take any of those DMs or comments that you want to take there. In fact, you know what I want to hear, Will? What? I want to hear from people. I want to hear what was some of the, the worst rums that somebody's had recently and why <laughs> and the best. Okay. Or yeah. if I'm crazy, like I just looked up on Rumex, and apparently a lot of people, there are not a lot of people, some people like this Rum yeah. Deluxe Savannah reunion mm-hmm. that I talked about. So, you know, there are lots of opinions out there. Tell me why I'm wrong. I'd love to hear about it. But more so, I just want to hear from you all what has really turned you on to rum recently and what's <laughs> turned you off. So just send us your turn ons and turn offs. That's all we're asking for. <laughs> Um, also, if you if you want even more Rumcast, we're on Patreon. We're doing bonus episodes, happy hours, all kinds of good stuff there. So you can join, support the show. It's patreon.com slash the Rumcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the Rumcast. 108 strong as, uh, yeah. as of this recording now. So we'd love to, to see even more of you there. But as always, thanks to patrons for their support. It's awesome. We love getting to hang out with you guys every month. And uh, John, I think that's it for this episode. So yeah. until next time. Does 108 time. qualify for dozens of us now? Can we say there are dozens <laughs> I think it's of beyond. us? I think it's beyond. Dozens! Dozen. I think it's wow. beyond dozens at this point. Yeah, excellent. Um, can right. we say scores? Scores. I don't know. That seems like a lot. <laughs> isn't well, isn't a score just 20? I don't know. Is it? I don't, four I don't four score my, and however many score, years ago. I think it's 20. years ago. I think it's 20. Uh, so it's it's right. it's yeah. almost two dozen. So I think we could yeah. say there are scores. There are scores of All us right. now. There are scores of us. Okay. All right. Well, if you want to join the scores, uh, <laughs> go to patreon.com slash the rumpcast. At any rate, we'll see you all soon for the next episode. See you next time.